Good morning, church. Um, the presence of God is mighty in our midst this morning, and I want us to keep it that way. I want us to hallow that presence as we go into God's word together. I'll be speaking this morning on a subject I called the advocacy of Christ. And I'm trusting God that, um, you know, um, would see further light, that God will shed more light on the things that have been accomplished for us. You know, the, the, the expectation and the hope at the end of this teaching this morning is that um, all of us would come into a place of greater liberty to worship, to serve the living God, to fellowship, and that our walk with God will move up to another dimension, knowing that we have an advocate, Christ Jesus the righteous. Hallelujah. The, the subject of sin in scriptures is... Um, is probably not understood enough. And, um, but, remember the first man, Adam and Eve in the garden, how they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree that God instructed them not to eat. And scripture says that true in the book of Romans chapter, I think chapter 5, he said, through one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Death came in through sin. And all men sinned. We remained under the sway of darkness and sin, under the sway of death for a long time until Jesus came. And scripture also said that through one man's obedience, many were also made righteous. And that righteousness of Christ brought us life and restored us back to fellowship with God. But the, Jesus had to die because Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Is righteousness through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. Um, Romans 3.23 also said, he said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it, it implies that every time sin happens, death happens. Hallelujah. Every time, because God told them in Genesis chapter 3, he said, the day you eat of no, in Genesis chapter 2. That was when he put them in the garden. The day you eat of the fruit of this tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, that day you shall surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan came in form of a serpent and began to question him and began to question the things that God has said. The same way it comes to us today to try to disprove or try to make us um, try and touch the boundaries of the things that God has instructed us not to do. And he comes and tells you, you really think 
this will happen. Even when he was saying it, do you really think he meant it this way? Do you understand? And of course, they ate of the fruit of that tree and they died. How did I know that they died? Because they did not die physically. Scripture said that when they ate of the fruit of that tree, their eyes were opened. And that was exactly what Satan told them. Maybe we should look at Genesis chapter 3. Let's see verse 3. Do not touch it lest you die. Verse 4. But then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of, of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Satan told them that when they eat of it, their eyes will be opened. They ate of it, and their eyes were opened. Did Satan tell the truth? I'm asking a question. A light on. Did Satan tell the truth? Eh? Samuel. Suppose. <laughs> Satan deceived them. Their eyes were opened. But that opening of the eyes was a blindness in the spirit. Their eyes were opened to the things that their eyes were not meant to be opened to. And their eyes were shut to the realms of God that they were saying. So it was, it was not a fair trade. Yes, it looked like Satan told them the truth. But he gave them something something unreasonable to take away something of eternal value from them. And that's the trade he makes with us all the time. It gives us momentary pleasure to take away our peace, to take away something more eternal. He makes that trade and we fall for that trade all the time. So yes, are you going to have pleasure? You would have pleasure. But it's a fleeting pleasure. Like we saw in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 concerning the account of Moses. Scripture says that Moses, when he became of it, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin for a moment. The pleasure of sin is always a moment. It is fleeting. It is always fleeting. Oh, yes, it looks like in the immediate it looks like it's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. Oh, you could even have, in quote, success by the measure of the world and you have it all your life. But at best, you probably have it for 50 years. Maybe by reason of strength, 100 years. But it is still minute, in, inconsequential in, in the timing of eternity. Why? Because with God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. So what is hundred years? Do you understand what I'm saying? So yes, it looks like you can enjoy the pleasure of sin for a long time. And, and in the realms of the earth, hundred years is a very long time. Fifty years is a long time. But when you put it side by side, eternity, it is inconsequential. So 
He said he would rather choose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a moment, for a season. And that's the choice that God wants us to make all the time when temptations come. Why? Because when temptations come, we always have a choice. It's always a choice to fall for it or reject it and overcome. He said, every man is tempted when he is drawn away out of his own loss. Then another place said, when we are tempted, he also makes a way of escape. In every temptation, there is a way of escape. You can say no. Hallelujah. He told Cain. He told Cain in chapter 4. He said, he said, he said, why are you hungry, Cain? If you have done well, will you, will you not be accepted? That was a way of escape. He said, now watch it. Sin lies at your door. But you should master it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm saying? He told Cain, he said, sin is lying at your door, but I want you to master it. But Cain did not master it. It's the same for us. When temptation comes, sin is lying at the door, but God wants us to master it. We can say no, but the moment they fell, the moment they heard of the fruit of that tree, like God commanded them not to, they died. They died. Their eyes were opened. To something it shouldn't have been open to. They, they entered into another civilization. And they became blind to the realms of God. And that's why we now began to, of course, that death passed upon all men. We began to read in the New Testament, we are praying that the eyes of our heart be opened. You see that blindness that happened. That's what we are now praying for. That, okay, God, open these eyes again. But Christ has made that provision. But when they died... Why? Because I said, when sin happens, death happens, right? For us to come out of that, there has to be the shedding of blood. When God was going to redeem Adam and Eve, so when God came into the, into, into the garden, like we'd always do, both of them went to hide. Why? Because they knew that they were naked. They didn't have that knowledge. That knowledge was foreign to them before then. They knew that they were naked and they hid from God. And he said, Adam, where are you? He said, we heard your voice and we hid for we are naked. Who told you that you are naked? Where did you get that information from? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree I told you not to eat? Then, of course, he began to talk and talk and talk and talk. That tells us that every time sin comes into the picture, it creates a gap between man and God. But that gap, you see, when sin comes into the picture, it is man that runs away from God. You, you, you no longer have confidence to approach. The same Adam that enjoyed the voice, that enjoyed the presence, that he would always come and fellowship in the cool of the day. The same Adam heard the voice of God and ran to hide. Hallelujah. Sin breaks fellowship. It, it seeks to break communication, breaks communion. It's the same for us. When, when, when you are hungry with your spouse, what you want to do at that time is not to be gisting. 
right? You don't even, some people even hold it one day, they don't, two days, they, they won't even talk. For those who are, who are not married, you probably won't call the person for like one whole day just to show that you're hungry. Or, you know, you, you have offended, you have no confidence. There is a break in fellowship because of offense. Hallelujah. And the restoration that God brought to Adam and Eve in that moment, so we saw that the moment sin entered into the picture, the same time God made provision to bridge the gap. What did he do? They covered themselves with, with, um, with leaves, but God killed a lamb. Immediately, there was shedding of blood. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, sin cannot be taken away. Sin cannot, cannot be atoned for. Hallelujah. So, he took a small lamb, killed that lamb to shed blood, to, to, stop, to stop that thing and restore them to fellowship, in a sense. Hallelujah. But we read in the book of Hebrews, I think Hebrews chapter 9, if you read chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, in a particular place I can't remember exactly. He said, for we know that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So it was a temporary provision until the perfect blood can come. So the issue of sin, the issue of remission, the issue of justification, the issue of salvation is a judicial case. The justice of God must be satisfied. Hallelujah. And if you go back to Genesis, in chapter 3, the later verses of chapter 3, he began to say that, see, the man has become like one of us. One of us now has to become like him to restore him back to fellowship. Hallelujah. And that was the foundation on which Jesus came. Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lets he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So, of course, they had to drive Adam and Eve out of the garden, um, you know, so that they won't remain in that sinful state forever and give hope for redemption. Hallelujah. But ultimately, so we saw the journey of the children of Israel, how God instituted a temporary solution to cater to the issue of sin. And he did it in such a way that every time any of the children of Israel committed a sin, you bring an animal, you confess your sin on that animal, then that animal is sacrificed as substitute for your sin. And that's the atonement. Then once in a year, once in a year, there is something they called the Day of Atonement for the nation of Israel. And that happens on the 10th day of the seventh month. You know, the 10th day of the seventh month was the National Day of Atonement in Israel, where they would bring all the sin of the nation for one whole year. Then they would bring sacrifices. They would bring um, sin offering. They would bring a sin offering the high priest will, they would, you know, make the sacrifices, kill, sprinkle the blood and all of that. The high priest will go into the holiest of all once in a year to do what? 
to atone for the sin of the nation. That's, that's different from the individual, ah, earnest offender today, you rush to the temple, meet a priest, Papa Paboya, this is my uh, probably two-year-old lamb, innocent lamb, kill it, substitute. Do you understand? Just to avert judgment. Hallelujah. So that continued, that continued. But atonement did not exactly take away sin, right? What ato- atonement was the covering of sin so that God could have uh, a, an avenue to relate with the nation of Israel. So that he could continue to bless them and, be, and continue to talk to them and relate with them. Why? Because he had already chosen them. Do you understand? So it was just a temporary solution to continue some form of relationship. But the, the book of Hebrews, and, and we're going to see it, it said... For every time they do atonement, there is remembrance of sin. Why? Because the sin was not wiped out. The sin was not taken away. It was just covered so that there could, there could be interaction between them and God. Hallelujah. But Jesus came and offered himself a sacrifice to take away sin once and for all. Hallelujah. I'm making this background so that by the time we, are, we, we start going into the reading in scriptures, you already have an idea of what we're talking about. Jesus came and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin, not just for atonement, but for remission. The sacrifice of Jesus wiped off sin forever. Wiped it off. It was not just a covering, it was a total cleaning of the organ table. He wiped the table clean. No trace of sin. It was a perfect sacrifice. Hallelujah. Let's see Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 to 14. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. We saw earlier that the high priest Aaron and the high priest that followed could only enter the holiest of all once in a year. Right? And scripture says they could not continue eternally. Why? Because of death. But Christ came. He offered, verse 12, he offered his own blood. But with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the hashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Go to verse 23 to 28. 23, same chapter. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with this, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than this. 
For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, it will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Christ was offered how many times? Once. Once. Let's see chapter 10 verse 12. He was offered once. The Levites, the priests used to offer sacrifices on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Killing animals for, for sin. Peace offering. Sin offering. Grain offering. All kinds of offerings. Just to maintain some form of relationship. But this man... Talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for how long? Forever. So, he didn't need to do it twice. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. One sacrifice took care of forever sin. And when we're talking forever, we're talking past, present, future. One sacrifice. Do you understand what I'm saying? This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God doing what? What is Christ? What is Jesus currently doing in heaven? Interceding. One. Mediating. Advocating. Hallelujah. One sacrifice took care of sin forever. Unlike in the whole testament, where you would need one sacrifice to take care of one sin. So you commit the sin today, you go and sacrifice. That that I'm surprised that thing didn't impoverish that nation. Because I mean it was Offerings upon offerings upon offerings upon offerings, sacrifices. Yet, it didn't take away sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, we, we have a background in terms of sin. So, let's go to the book of 1 John. Let's read from chapter, 1 John chapter 1. Let's read from verse 5, then up to chapter 2, verse 2. Because... When the scriptures were written, they were not written in chapters. I'm sure we know that. It was just one school, just one letter, right? It was our fathers who translated and did all of that and broke it into chapters for us to make it easier for us to read, okay? So, chapter 1, chapter 2, just the whole of 1 John was just one letter to, that John addressed to the church. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is the message that we have. That God is light and in God there is no darkness at all. So if you are saying that you belong to God, if you say you have fellowship with God, if you say that you have the life of God in you and walk in darkness and live in darkness, he said you are a liar and you are not practicing what you are saying. Your lifestyle and your confession, they are variance. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, because God is light and in him is no darkness, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1. Continuation. Verse 11. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Why are we writing to you? Why, why, why was John writing to us? That's all right. Okay, now. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. My little children, this is I have written unto you that you may not sin. But if any peradventure, you see, it didn't say when any man sins. Why? Because the believer does not make sin a habit. Sinning is not in the nature of the believer, it's not, it's not a lifestyle of the believer. Mistakes could happen. That's why I said if. Perhaps, perhaps, and he was talking to little children. So he needed them to understand that perhaps if you sin, you have an advocate. We have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It was important that he put the word righteous. Why? Because it was the only... Jesus is the only person who can stand before the Father for us. And why is he able to stand? Because he is the propitiation. Propitiation means he is the atoning sacrifice. So all the lambs and animals that were killed in the Old Testament, Jesus himself is the perfect sacrifice. No wonder John told his disciples, he said, they said one day, John and his disciples were sitting in a place and Jesus was passing by and he told the disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. But not just for our sins alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. How beautiful. 
So, for the sin of the whole world, there is already provision. Did we get that? The death, the sacrifice of Jesus has made provision for the sin of the whole world. So today, if, if Vladimir Putin repents, his sins have been provided for. They've been atoned for. He has not just received that, that work. Hallelujah. So he made sacrifice for the sin of the whole world, but he's only the advocate for the believer. He's not the advocate of the whole world. He's the propitiation for the sin of the whole world, but he's the advocate for the believer. The believers are those who have engaged him, who have accepted his work, who have enlisted in his army, who have said, okay, yes, be my Lord. And the moment they took that decision, he also became their advocate before the Father. So we are going to look, we are going to look at, at, at the advocate. Who is an advocate? Because we are talking about the advocacy of Christ. Who is an advocate? An advocate is, is a specialist. So an advocate is not just any lawyer. All right? It, it is not all lawyers that are advocates. Do you understand? Some lawyers, what do you need to be a lawyer? You study, you study law, you go to law school, you get into the bar. Do you understand? You are a lawyer. But some lawyers are lecturers, some are in business, some are doing other things. Some are doing other aspects of, of law. Do you understand? But advocates are people who are learned, who are skilled, who are specialists and qualified to stand on behalf of another in the court of law. Not all lawyers go to court. I'm sure we know that, right? So an advocate is a specialist who is qualified to plead the case of another and represent him or her in court and the presence of a judge. So, why would John refer to Jesus as our advocate? You know, I told us earlier that the whole issue of salvation and redemption is judicial. Is judicial. In the realm of the, the realm of the spirit is governed by laws. So if Revelation chapter 12, there was war in heaven, Satan and his angels fought. What did they call Satan? They said, Rejoice for the accuser of the brethren. Accuser is not just an accuser in that sense. He's remember Romans chapter 8 said, Who is he that brings a charge against God's elect? An accuser is the one that brings a charge. He's the plaintiff. But it's not just bringing it before your daddy. He's dragging you before the law court. That's why he's an accuser. This is what Folusho has done. And she deserves to be punished. Do you understand? That's what the accuser of the brethren does. That's why he's called the accuser. He's, he's the plaintiff. He's a prosecutor. Yeah, let me put it that way. Satan... Is a prosecutor. 
And whether we like it or not, it drags us, whether we are aware of it or not, before the judge to give reasons why we should be punished. To give reasons why we should not be blessed. To give reasons why we, should not, why we do not deserve the things that are ours. It just wants to put an impediment in the way. But ultimately, what it's seeking to do is to cut us off from God. And we're going to see that. But we have Jesus. He said, if any man sins, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. The word advocate is the word, is the Greek word translated parakletos. Parakletos. Parakletos means your defense counsel, your legal assistant. Hallelujah. So the word advocate talks about, it means your defense counsel, the one who defends you. You know, I said it that is especially is qualified to plead the case of another. So if you have Jesus as your advocate, it means Jesus is the one who stands to defend you in the court of heaven. When Satan brings a charge, Jesus stands to defend your case. And how does he defend it? I can imagine him saying, yes, she did it. Actually, she's guilty, but it's been paid for. <laughs> Do you understand? Oh, 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 yes, yes, she actually told a lie. She actually told a lie. Oh, she actually, she did it, but it's been paid for. I paid for it. So because I paid for it, she can't be punished for it. Do you understand? Just the same way, in the Old Testament, they would confess their sin upon the animal, and the animal would be killed as substitute. Jesus would stand in the court of heaven to say, I paid for it. No wonder Romans chapter 8 verse 1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Why? Because it's been paid for. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous. So you can imagine if you, 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 you get into trouble you, and you've been brought to court, but your defense counsel is, is even saying in the presence of the judge that you should be punished. What kind of defense counsel, what kind of defense counsel is that? But you see, the, the defense counsel, your, your, your defense counsel does not only plead your case to the judge, your defense counsel does not only talk to the judge for you, he also, he also talks to you to prepare you, do you understand, for the, for the case. Why? Because it is important that you are saying the same thing that your defense counsel is saying. Hallelujah. I cannot, I cannot enlist you as my defense, I cannot engage you as my defense counsel in court. And you have defended me brilliantly. In fact, the court is convinced. Then I'll say, ah, uh, Mr. Busayo, what do you have to say? 
Then I say, I did it, I'm guilty. <laughs> have I not, have I not cancelled my own case? Do you understand? So, but even before you go before the judge, the defense counsel would have told you, uh, these are the things you should say. Uh, even when you are guilty, right? Even when you are guilty, what will your lawyer do? He would tell you the things to say, the things not to say, because there are things you will say that will implicate yourself. There are things you will say that you will worsen your case. Do you understand? So it will train you, would have briefed you ahead of time and prepared you. And even look at the possible angles that the prosecutor can come from. You would look at the evidences they have against you, then teach you how to defend it. Then, of course, you would plead your case and all of that. So it is important that your profession, your declarations are in line with the things that your defender is saying. Are we together? So that you don't self-implicate. So your, your defender cannot say, your advocate cannot stand in the court of heaven and say, not guilty. Then you are here saying, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. You are not a sinner. Hallelujah. You can't be a believer and be a sinner at the same time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says, Christ has been made unto us righteousness, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, ah, no, everybody is a sinner. Ah, Lord, Father, I come before you this morning. I am a sinner. You are not a sinner. Yes, you sinned, but you are not a sinner. Praise God. A sinner is one who habitually lives in sin. Not redeemed. Habitually. You made a mistake, but you are not a sinner. Hallelujah. Are we together? So when, when you come to speak, you should speak in line with the things that have been said concerning you. Why do you think Paul writing to the churches, he would say to the saints in so-and-so place, our understanding of saints are people without sin, right? But that's who you are. He was writing to people who were imperfect. And he was writing to us. But he called us saints. Because that's what God calls you. Because that's what you are in Christ Jesus. So when, when you come and you say, in Jesus' name, what have you done? You have appropriated the sacrifice. You are saying, I have not come in my name. I have not come by myself. I have come based on the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And when God looks at you, it is actually Jesus that is standing before him. Why? Because in Christ, you have, you have that covering. And it stands for you. 
Praise God. So I said, sacrifice for, is the sacrifice for sin of the world, but only advocate for those who have believed. And you don't enjoy advocacy without enlisting or engaging the Lord, without you know, being a part of his family. The advocacy of Christ is born out of his priesthood. You know, he's the high priest. He's the high priest of good things to come. He's our high priest right now in heaven. Just like Aaron was in, 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 in the wilderness and for the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ today is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4. So the advocacy of Christ is also part of, of his priesthood responsibilities that he is doing for us right now. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's see from verse um, 14, I think. Saying then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us do what? Hold fast our confession. Let us maintain our confession. Let us be consistent. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we come boldly? Verse 16 said we should come boldly. What gives us confidence to come boldly? Because we have a high priest. Verse 14. Did you see the link? He said, Seeing now that we understand that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus was a man of like passion. He was tempted. I'm not the one saying it. The scripture is the one saying it. But was in all point tempted as we are, yet without sin. So one of the reasons why he's able to stand as an advocate is the fact that he passed through the things that you are passing through. He faced the same temptations you're facing. So he can stand before God and say, Ah, Father, I actually understand what Bimbo is going through. I, I, I had that temptation. I know how difficult it is for her. Yes, she, she slipped, but I paid for it. So she can't be punished. Advocacy. Do you understand? He can feel, he, he can feel your weaknesses. He knows the things you are going through. He feels your pains. He sees your fears. He sees all of those things. He was in all point tempted, yet without sin. And because now, because we understand that we have a high priest who is standing for us before God, who is representing us before God, Scripture says in verse 16, Now, therefore, let us come boldly. If you are sure that you have an advocate, you have a high priest who pleads your case, who is for you, you should come boldly. 
So even when we make mistakes and there is issue of sin, how do we do with the issue of sin? The advocate. If we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. She cannot dealt with. Praise the Lord. Are we together? Come boldly. I'm sure we know when, when the issue of sin comes into the picture, it's difficult to pray. You don't want to. You are hiding like Adam. You are looking at yourself. Oh, you come to church. Oh, so we lift up holy hands. And in your mind, you're like, holy hands, holy, holy, holy hands, holy hands. Has that happened to you before? It has happened to me. So don't pretend. I know it's the same thing that has happened to all of us. Scripture says the same affliction is accomplished in your brethren all over. It's the same. So we lift up holy hands in holy hands. Then you put the hand down. And you cannot sing that song with boldness. Why? Because there is accusation. The accuser is at work. Accusing your conscience. But when you understand this, you can come boldly. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. When you need mercy, it doesn't look like the time to be bold. Right? It doesn't look like that's the time to be bold. Okay, so you are coming to the same throne, oh, the same throne of, of grace, holiest of all, that scripture says that if the high priest mistakenly fumbles, the guy will die there. They will need to use rope to drag him out. That's that heavy, that, that awesome, you know, that um, fearful, fearful place. That's where we are coming to. But Jesus is saying, come boldly. Why? Because you have a high priest who has represented you. Blood has been sprinkled for you. So he said, come boldly. Rather, instead of us to come, we will not be coming. Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, no. Come boldly. Admit your faults. Confess your sins to him. The moment you do that, you are triggering the advocacy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are triggering the blood. Receive forgiveness. Receive mercy. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. And find grace. In time of need. When it comes to the issue of sin, what do we need? Mercy and grace. And we have it in abundance. So, come boldly. Why? Because the advocate, he has pleaded your case. You are not guilty in the courts of heaven. Just receive. You see, some, it is, sometimes it's just pride. It is just pride that makes us feel, ah, I did it. I, ah, this thing. Ah, I've, been, I've been asking for forgiveness for this thing. For 
even this year alone now, I've asked for like 20, 20 times again. Ah, ah. Then, rather than go and receive mercy and find grace, you shut down. You begin to hide. Then they tell you, come to fellowship. You don't want to come. Why? Because you feel that you are not qualified to come. But you see that that sense of not being qualified to come is born out of pride that makes you feel you are coming by yourself and in your name. But when you appear before his presence and you appropriate the work that he has done, blood is released for cleansing. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. When you appropriate the blood, there is cleansing. There is continuous provision. Why? Because the sacrifice has been made. One sacrifice for forever sin. The sin you would commit tomorrow, one in 2050, if Jesus starts, it's been paid for. So you don't have to, you don't have to do like pity party, like you have to suffer uh, in terms of sobriety, you have to, uh, 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 you know, I want God to know that I am sober. Then, but because of that, you are, you are rebuking yourself. There is self-condemnation that are set in and all of those things. Those things don't work the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Self-condemnation will not work the righteousness of God. What you do, receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Briefly, I will talk about three levels of um, accusation. So we have the accusation of the adversary, which I mentioned briefly. We have the accusation of brethren. We have self-accusation or self-condemnation. But let's start from self-condemnation. First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4, 3 to 5. Because if we don't deal with self-condemnation, it would affect our fellowship. It will affect our relationship with God. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the earth, of the heart. The neutron sprays will come from God. Paul said, I do not judge myself. It is Christ that judges me. And when Christ judges you, what does he do? He justifies you. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I think verse 35 or so. He said, who is he that condemns? Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. So it doesn't, it is the accuser that condemns. It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who is making intercession? The person making intercession for you is not the one condemning you. 
your conscience condemns you. And we can we would see that first John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, 20 to 22. 1 John 3, 20 to 22. He said, For if our heart condemns us, self-condemnation, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So when, when we are living in, in self-condemnation, our heart condemns us. But sometimes your heart is condemning you. You think it is God or it is the Holy Ghost that is condemning you. The Holy Ghost does not condemn the Holy Ghost can convict, can tell you, can convict of sin, but it does not condemn. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You remember that story of the woman that was caught in the heart of adultery in John chapter 8? And um, those guys brought, brought him to Jesus for judgment and all that. And Jesus said, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. Right? And then Jesus stood down and began to write. And when he looked up, all of them had left. Then he said, woman, where are your accusers? John chapter 8. Where are your accusers? They've all left. He said, neither do I condemn you. The woman caught in the very act of adultery. So why do you think God is the one condemning? God does not condemn. He justifies. Hallelujah. What does it do? It justifies you. That's what advocacy is for. It finds grounds for your justification. And the grounds for your justification is the sacrifice, the propitiation for your sin. So those guys, why did they leave? Self-condemnation. He who has not committed the sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. He didn't tell them to go. But they left. Why? Because they were judged in their hearts and they left. Why did Adam go and hide? Self-condemnation. Was it God? Was it God that condemned Adam? No. Self-condemnation. In his self-condemnation, God was the one looking for him. The same way he looks for us. So that time when you are hiding from fellowship and you are just struggling, you can't even pray now. How can you... Yeah, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Just pray, man. Yeah, love it. Just pray. Yeah. Just pray. That's the Holy Ghost walking. It, the Father is always drawing us to himself. Always drawing us. But sin seeks to separate and tear us apart. But it does not condemn. He said, if our, heart, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. Sometimes the condemnation we have is not even, it's just out of ignorance. It's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's out of our conscience. And let me try and explain that. You see, our conscience is oftentimes the voice of our experience or the level of our knowledge. Okay? For example, so you said, I wrote here that is the voice of your experience. Your conscience cannot be higher than your knowledge. Okay? Because your conscience is actually limited by your knowledge. But the truth of the gospel 
is higher than your knowledge. So there are times because of the level of knowledge, we are into condemnation for something that is nothing. Are we together? Let me give you an example. You see, there was a time when the issue of you wear trousers, I don't wear trousers, was a big deal. And even till today, if somebody who does not have the knowledge wears trousers, the person is condemned. There is condemnation in her heart. Do you understand why? The conscience is condemning her. Not God, not, not because she has sinned, but she feels. So in that state, it is the level of the knowledge of the conscience. In another place in Romans, Paul was talking about food sacrificed unto idols. He said, for we know that an idol is nothing. Right? We know that an idol is nothing. But he said, but there is not in all men this knowledge. Not all men understand that an idol is nothing. So because of that, because of love, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Because your brother who does not understand that thing will see you eating it. Oh, then because, ah, David is eating it. Then it meanwhile, David has knowledge that an idol is nothing. So this thing, he said, whatever I said before you, eat, asking no question. Give thanks, collect, shop. Do you understand? But David has the knowledge that an idol is nothing. So you give me salamit, I chop him. Uh, this, I bless it, sanctify it. I'm eating, I'm fine. But there is not in any man, in every man, that knowledge. So because of your brother who has a weak conscience, okay? When that brother sees you and he eats because he sees you eating, he defiles his conscience. Hallelujah. Not because he has sinned, but that thing becomes a sin to him because he has defiled his conscience because of the level of knowledge. So Paul said, because of that, I would rather not eat meat. Because if you are walking in love... Not eating meat will not kill you. It will save your brother. But if you, because of your own knowledge, and you go and do, now you, sabi, now you know Sabi, me, I, you would cause your brother to stumble. So that's why walking in love, the demand of love is higher than our, pe- our personal liberties. Did you get that? Yes, that's Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. I can do all things. I can do anything I want, but I won't be brought under the power of any. Hallelujah. So it's the level of the knowledge of the conscience. So that thing becomes a sin to that person if he hits without knowledge. I hope I just use that to clarify. Hallelujah. And that's why the issue of renewal of the mind is very, very important. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Verse 1. I beseech you to ever bread and present yourselves a living sacrifice only and acceptable to God for this your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, verse 2, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the transformation of our heart comes by the renewing of our mind, by the word. So the, the person with a weak conscience, what does that person need? Knowledge, renewal, mind transformation. So the person would give attention to the word, stay under the word, listen to the word, take in the word, so that it can increase knowledge. 
Hallelujah. And he won't be condemned for things that are nothing. Praise God. Then there is the accusation of brethren. Accusation of brethren. I gave the example of the woman caught in the very heart. It was our people that brought her and brought her before Christ. That accused her before Christ. But God said, I do not condemn you. And yes, we can probably, people have, you probably do something. And people have even condemned you and accused you. Then because they have accused you, you are shrinking away from the Lord. You are trying to run. Why? Because of accusation of brethren. But even if the accusation is true, you have an advocate. Hallelujah. And the third one is the accusation of the adversary. I said it earlier. For the accuser of our brethren, Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accuses them before God day and night. That guy is, the guy is always busy. Always busy. He was the one that went to meet God on behalf of Job. God to, ah, ah, chief, where are you coming from now? Ah, I've been to and fro. Walk to and fro the whole head. Hallelujah. Walk is always walking to and fro. That, and that's how it was also described, I think, in um, Timothy. The devil is always moving about like a roaring. He's always about, always busy, looking for accusations. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God, day and night. Ah! You know if God wants sleep, says, you know, go allow him to sleep. Even go, you know the one who watches over Israel does not sleep nor slumber. Hallelujah. For the accuser of our brethren, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So Satan is the accuser. He accuses your conscience. And one of, so like the example I gave earlier, so you want to lift up holy hands and it tells which, which hand, which, this, is, this, is this hand holy? Have you forgotten what you did yesterday? Have you forgotten how we were looking at that uh, lady that passed in your distance? Have you, have you forgotten the movie you watched? Have you forgotten? Do you understand? Accusations. And he accuses, apart from accusing you before God, he accuses your conscience in such a way that you lack any confidence to stand before God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, the advocacy of Jesus is to make sure our heart is in alignment with what he has done. Our heart must be in alignment with the finished work. Knowing that these things have been accomplished. The sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. I mean, I, I can't buy you a car. Then you drive that car. Then the guy I bought the car from comes to you and says, if you, are not, if you are actually not aware that I've paid for that car, or maybe you've been saving to buy a car, then all of a sudden I just, I just give you the car. And you are going on the road and somebody just starts harassing you. The person can collect the car from you if you are not confident and sure that this thing has been fully paid for. 
So Satan will make you suffer for the things that have been fully paid for because of your ignorance. Hallelujah. So what do you do? You stand your ground. It's been paid for. If you are paying for it again, that's your problem. You are just suffering for nothing. You are just suffering for nothing. It's been paid for. And that's why scripture can say that sin shall not have dominion over you. Romans chapter 6. Sin shall not have dominion. Not the act of sin and not the guilt of sin. It shall not have dominion. You will not be brought under the power of sin. Why? Because of your advocate. If only you believe, if only you understand his advocacy. That he stands in the courts of heaven on your behalf. When you understand that, it clears your conscience and gives you confidence to approach God. Your relationship and fellowship with God will blossom. Why? Because there is no hindrance. You know that you are blameless. Hallelujah. You know that you are blameless. Why? Because he has justified you. He has justified you. Scripture says, I think in Romans chapter 3, I think verse 26, he said, the justifier also must be just. Is your justifier. Romans 6, 23 to 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Is your justifier. Hallelujah. Is your justifier. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Not the act of sin and not the guilt of sin. So, don't, don't give in. Don't submit. Don't just sit and accept the accusations flying over your head. Accusation of Satan, accusing your conscience, self-condemnation. All of, do away with those things from today. Why? Because you have an advocate who stands before the Father for you. When we sin, we lose confidence because of the consciousness of sin. We lose our sense of righteousness. And what's righteousness? Righteousness is our right standing with God. It means our ability to stand in the presence of God without inferiority, without any form of inferiority complex, without guilt, without consciousness of sin. You are able to stand in his presence. You are able to lift up holy hands. You know, and you are lifting up holy hands not because of what you have done or not done. Just because you have embraced the righteousness of Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it is, you are latching on to his righteousness. Because you can't come in your own righteousness. He said your own righteousness is like filthy rags. Feel the rags. That's the best you can offer. But when you, when you tag and align yourself to the righteousness of Christ, you have confidence to stand before God. And God sees you in Christ. Then there is grace released. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, Shall we then continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, No, God forbid. We can't, we can't 
we can't be under the guilt of sin, under self-condemnation, self-judgment, and all of those things, and expect that the grace of the grace will not come. Grace will not come. Grace comes when we when we by faith appropriate the work that Christ has done. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through Christ. And then we stand. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, having been justified, you have been justified by faith. And the result of justification is peace. The result of justification is peace. Every time you check your heart and you are not at peace, and there is no peace, and there is fear, and there is condemnation, then it is time to come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because peace must always be the state of your heart. Confidence in God, assurance, ability to stand, righteousness must always be the state of your heart. Anytime you feel for any reason whatsoever, whether you know why or you don't know why, you just feel, you feel unqualified to stand before his presence, then it is time to come to the throne of grace and take on the advocacy of Christ. Why? Because you are accepted. Hallelujah. He has perfected us forever. One, one offering, one sacrifice has taken care of sin forever. And he stands before God forever as our advocate, as our defense counsel, as our legal assistant. The word that was translated advocate in 4 John chapter 2 verse, verse 1 is the same word that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit, Paracletos. When he said, I'm going, but I will send you another comfort. I will send you another Paracletos. I will send you another advocate. And he said he would begin to, he would remind you of the things I spoke to you. He would take of mine and teach you. So the Holy Ghost is in you, also reminding you of the advocacy of Christ. And telling you that, no, you are not, you don't belong here. You don't belong, you don't belong on the floor. Stand up, you are a daughter of Zion. You are, you are a son of Zion. And these things have been paid for. Fully paid for. And you don't, you, you don't need to pay for it again. You don't need to pay. Hallelujah. Blameless before the throne. I am blameless before the throne, recommended by the blood of the Lamb. In my spirit, my soul, and my body, I'm blameless before the throne. Can we stand on our feet this morning? I want us to sing this song until it seeps into our souls. It, it becomes a revelation. It becomes a part of us. It becomes, it becomes a daily experience. It becomes what we are assured of. 
that you are blameless when you stand before his throne and you are standing in Christ, you are blameless. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ is what the Lord sees. Blameless, blameless before the throne. And I want us to sing it with confidence. If you are sure this morning that you are blameless, I'm recommended by the blood of the Lamb. Spirit and soul and my body, for I am blameless before the throne. I am blameless before the throne. Blameless before the throne. I'm recommended by the blood of the Lamb. In my spirit and soul and Can we sing again? I am blameless before the throne. Are you sure? I am blameless before the throne. I'm recommended by the blood of the Lamb. And in my spirit, my soul, and body. I'm blameless before the throne. You are blameless. I am blameless. Say it, sing it, let's sit and know, let all the hearts of hell know. I'm recommended. I'm recommended by the blood of the Lamb. In my spirit, my soul, and my body. I'm blameless before the throne. In my spirit, my soul, and my body. You know, in my spirit, my soul. you know this message. When you preach this kind of message, people say that you are giving people license to sin. But no, it is not license. It is the declaration of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John said, "This is I write to you that you will not sin." I'm writing this, I'm letting you know these things. I'm letting you know that you have an advocate so that you will not sin. Hallelujah. It is the revelation of the grace of God to us. In the book of Titus, I think chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 7, it says that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. When grace is revealed, it is strength to deny ungodliness. Grace comes when you receive the grace of God, you will receive empowerment to overcome sin. And that's what John was saying. But I'm telling you these things. I'm giving you a revelation of the grace and mercy of God so that you will not sin. So this is not license. This is grace that we need to latch on to. This is grace that we have to be thankful for. Thankful for the blood. Thankful for the sacrifice that perfected you. Thankful for the sacrifice that, make, that makes it possible for you to come boldly and to stand. Irrespective of what you have done or not done. And you can stand because of the sacrifice. And you know, when, when, when you are really in love with God and you, and, and, and you have found Him, you find out that because, you know, because of the knowledge and understanding of the advocacy, you don't want to sin. Why? Because you don't hurt the people you love. 
don't hurt the people you love. In my spirit, my soul, and my body, I'm blameless before the throne. I want us to thank God this morning for the blood. Arada bokoshi kaporodo bokusu frandia kalahaya. Yebroko koto boshando lobokosi ke prahato sika prahadaya. From today, Satan will not cheat you. From today, Satan will not cheat you. Will not take advantage of you. Because light has come, understanding has come. I come boldly in my spirit, my soul, and my body. Lord, we thank you. I am blameless before you. We are grateful for the blood. We are grateful for the sacrifice. We are grateful for your advocacy. Thank you, Father. Thank you for perfecting us forever. Thank you for the one sacrifice that took care of sin forever. Thank you. Thank you for that one sacrifice took care of sin forever. 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 And we don't have to pay again. Thank you, Father. We give you praise and glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Hallelujah.